The Southern Foodways Alliance believes that stories have the power to change the world for the better. We invite you to attend our Winter Symposium in Birmingham on February 24th as we learn about the transformative power of narrative. To see a full schedule of events and purchase tickets, visit southernfoodways.org. While you're there, consider making a donation. Donations support all SFA work, including this podcast. Eastern North Carolina is synonymous with the most desirable barbecue in the South. Other regions specialize in parts, say shoulders or ribs, but down east is the heart of slow smoke whole hog barbecue. Swine have long been a part of the state's DNA. Many Tar Heels have fond memories of raising hogs on small plots of land and celebrating the end of the tobacco harvest with a pit cook feast. Today, the industrial pork industry that dominates the region has become a point of contention, especially in Duplin County, home of Smithfield Foods. Smithfield is the largest pork company in the world. They pump millions of dollars into the North Carolina economy, and they make and sell many of the grocery store brands that are now omnipresent, including Nathan's Famous and Farmland and Armor, among many others. Smithfield has become a kind of Goliath in a long American narrative in which dominant industries produce and sell products, often at the expense of the people of the region they call home. Too often, the burdens of these operations tend to fall heavily on disenfranchised communities, where people lack the resources to challenge them. However, in this small, rural North Carolina county, activists and residents have begun to unite and to challenge an industry that has long seemed too big to fail. You're listening to Gravy. 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 Hmm. Stories of the changing American South told through the foods we eat. We're a production of the Southern Foodways Alliance, and I'm John T. Edge, your host. This week, Otis Gray, host and producer of the Hungry Podcast, partners with us to travel to Duplin County. Duplin County resides in the sprawling rural plains of eastern North Carolina. Driving through it, you'll pass fields and fields of soy, corn, and golden hay, making the county seem like a picturesque example of southern farmland. Up until the 1950s, tobacco reigned supreme here, every farmer having at least a small plot of it on their family land to make ends meet. But today, this is swine country. Duplin is home to the largest hog company in the world, Smithfield Foods. And because of that, the hogs here outnumber people 40 to 1. Hog farming does run deep in the history of eastern North Carolina, and today it's the backbone of the region's economy. While some residents in Duplin take immense pride in the industry, others don't feel the same. They stink like hell. You can say hell on the radio. (laughs) They stink like hell. That's Shamia, one of the many Duplin residents who finds the stench from these farms unbearable. A hog produces 10 times more waste than a human each day. Smithfield keeps their hogs in what are called CAFOs, or confined animal feeding operations. These are large barns that can hold up to 800 hogs, with usually around 6,000 hogs per farm. The waste from all these pigs drops through slats in the barn floor and funnels out into deep open air lagoons, sometimes as big as a couple football fields. And to keep these lagoons from overflowing, the farmers then spray the waste through high pressure guns across the surrounding land as fertilizer. 
your eyes start running water, you start coughing and gagging, feel like you want to throw up, you know, and trying to hold your breath to at the same time, trying to get to and from your destination. They've just taken every freedom that we have away from us. This is Elsie Herring. And I'm 69 years old and I live in North Carolina. Elsie's family home is adjacent to two CAFOs and a spray field. It lands on your grass, your house, your car, wherever. We have lost the right of our, our use of our property. And we don't open the doors and the windows, you know. We don't cook out anymore. We don't have a lot of company over, you know, because you can't keep the smell out of the house. It's, it's just, I think, an inhumane way to make people have to live. Elsie and other residents have been working with local activist groups to prove that Smithfield's practices cause a litany of negative effects, including health issues, environmental harm, a general inability for residents to enjoy their homes, and losses in property value of those who are living around the CAFOs. Citing the swine industry's deep ties in North Carolina politics, they say that the state government is doing nothing to prevent this from happening. Yeah. In response, Elsie and various environmental groups filed a Title VI civil rights complaint with the EPA against the North Carolina Department of Environmental Quality. In it, they claim that the state's failure to properly regulate these farms blatantly discriminates against communities of color in North Carolina. Because why aren't they in all, all neighborhoods equally? Why are they just in uh, African-American, Latino, and Native American communities? I think it's because they find least resistance here. We don't have any money, we don't have a voice, we don't have no representation. So it's easy for them to do what they want to. Smithfield has long disputed these claims. Now, after years of fighting with little progress, Elsie and the people of Duplin hope that their plea to the EPA may resonate and their voices may finally be heard. As I was flying toward Duplin for this show, I looked out the plane window down at the endless yellow and green patchwork of North Carolina's farmland. As you get a little farther south, that farmland becomes interrupted by these massive oblong shapes that are somewhere between a crimson red and a Pepto-Bismol pink. These are the lagoons. From above, the lagoons dominate the landscape like hundreds of ponds that glisten and reflect in the sun. Next to each lagoon, you can see anywhere from three to 10 long barns with white roofs. These are the CAFOs, where thousands of pigs go from birth to market weight of 290 pounds in just seven months. These, these are not farms, these are industrial operations that raise animals in confinement buildings in huge numbers in a very concentrated area. This is Rick Dove of the Waterkeeper Alliance. It's an environmental group that regulates North Carolina's waterways. As a matter of fact, North Carolina has the highest concentration of animals that you'll find anywhere in the world. He says the sheer concentration of these animals has led to hundreds of environmental violations that he has personally documented from the air. Waste running into waterways, illegal drainage pipes, and he says the lagoons themselves aren't lined with anything to keep them from seeping into the groundwater. So this, this operation of a swine facility, it's, it's like pouring water into a, a, a sieve. It just, it just runs through. I mean, it, it's not staying there. So this whole system doesn't make any sense, doesn't make any sense at all. While almost all of these hogs belong to Smithfield Foods, the farms they are raised in are not. 
They belong to what's known as contract growers, which are independent farmers with small plots of land who get paid to raise Smithfield's hogs until they're ready for slaughter. This contract growing model has made Smithfield a multi-billion dollar company in just four decades. And it's the reason that Eastern North Carolina's nine million hogs are all concentrated around Duplin and Sampson County. So how did a rural place like Duplin, where families used to raise a handful of hogs, become home to the world's largest industrialized pork company? It can all be kind of traced back to one man, whose name was Wendell Murphy. In the 1960s, Wendell Murphy was a successful hog breeder in Rose Hill, North Carolina. In 1969, he lost his entire stock to a cholera epidemic. The U.S. Department of Health ordered that his 3,000 hogs be destroyed, and they forbade him from growing any more pigs on his farm. With no livestock and no land, Murphy's future was looking bleak. What he did was he bought some fencing and some new hogs, and he paid his neighbors a dollar per pig to raise the hogs on their land. This was the birth of contract farming in North Carolina. By the 1990s, Murphy had farmers lining up to be contract growers for his company. Other competing hog companies copied the model and became industry giants within the span of three decades. Murphy's business would become a subsidiary of the Smithfield that we know today. Most of these contract growers were folks who had small plots of family land and had grown tobacco to make ends meet. But as agriculture became increasingly mechanized in the 60s and the tobacco industry collapsed because of its links to cancer, these farmers were forced to get big in an entirely different product or just get out. Restricted by the size of their land, farmers here soon realized that the only way to survive was to build compact farms and raise hogs for big companies like Smithfield in concentrated animal feeding operations, or CAFOs. Where there was once a patch of tobacco, there was now a farm that housed hundreds of hogs in tight quarters. Today, these farms are legally regulated as zero discharge systems, meaning they're not permitted to discharge any swine waste into North Carolina's waterways by state law. But if you look at the photographs and video that I've taken over the years, you'll see that this happens on a regular basis. Almost all of Duplin residents claim that these violations go uninvestigated by state regulators, an oversight they attribute to the hog industry's influence on their government. Remember Wendell Murphy? He served in both the North Carolina House of Representatives and the state Senate for a collective nine years, helping to pass many of the laws that protect the industry today. One of the biggest problems is that folks in Duplin have long relied on shallow wells for drinking water. These farms are built on hurricane-heavy floodplains that make up the eastern part of the state. Both Hurricane Floyd in 1999 and Hurricane Matthew in 2016 caused these CAFOs to rupture and overflow, seeping into the surrounding properties. Because of this, Duplin residents have been told by researchers testing waters around the farms that their wells weren't safe to drink from. Others, like Elsie Herring, haven't had the resources to get her family's well tested, but simply don't want to take the risk and are forced to buy bottled water or pay to tap into the municipal water. That water was free. You know, we can't hang, hang but you can't not hang your clothes on now. You got to buy a clothes dryer. You can't sit outside, so you got to have an air conditioner if you don't have one. It's, it's just, uh, I think, an inhumane way to make people have to live. The plea they've made to the EPA lists all of these health effects linked to the hog farms. Well, a lot of people have asthma, respiratory problems, heart conditions, uh, incidences of different kinds of cancer. 
And also, there's mental anguish, mood swings, depression, people claim a loss of vigor. She says once you get sick and miss work, these issues become a severe economic burden on communities who are already working low-income jobs. Um, I just don't see anything pleasant about um, a hole in the ground where you're allowed to spray animal waste out on people. Many residents claim that the hog industry has simply interfered with things that have always been part of everyday life down east. Our family used to have a lot of cookouts. And then it gets to the point that the, sometimes the odor is so bad that who want to cook out? You know, who want to be outside? This is Devon Hall, the director of the Rural Empowerment Association for Community Help, or REACH, one of the activist groups out of Dublin County filing the civil rights complaint with the EPA. Uh, you got more flies, you got buzzards, you know, around these dead boxes. And people that's coming from out of town, the first thing they would say is, what's that odor? Devon is referring to the dead boxes, which are open-air containers that line the roads outside of these farms. Where the dead pigs, turkeys, and chickens is put in those, uh, those bins on a daily basis. And attract buzzards and large swarms of flies before they're picked up by big trucks and taken to a rendering plant where they get turned into pet food and various other products. When I worked for the Department of Transportation, rule of thumb, if you're flagging traffic and you look up the road and there's a dead truck coming into your work zone, rule of thumb, you do not stop that dead truck in your work zone because then all the workers underneath the bridge and you know around your work, work area is gagging for breath because of that stench. You can't turn him around, but you don't want to stop him in your work zone. In 1997, a moratorium was put in place that prevented any new CAFOs from opening using the same waste management system that we see today. But people in Duplin had been asking for this for decades. The law was really only passed after a farm was planned to locate within proximity of a golf course in Pinehurst, a wealthier, predominantly white town a few counties over. You know, if you just look around the, the state and note where the majority of these farms are located in the southeastern part of the state around uh, most of the people of color. If you look at other parts of the state where they have the large golf courses and things of that nature, you don't see these farms. So if you look in the, the parts of the state where it's predominantly white, you, you're not gonna find these farms. If you take a map of the region where red dots represent the over 2,000 CAFOs that are here and overlay it with a map showing the density of poor communities of color, the similarities are really hard to ignore. Independent studies by researchers at UNC Chapel Hill's School of Public Health have concluded that the CAFOs containing Smithfield swine are predominantly located in communities of color, places where there's less access to medical help, high-income jobs, and education. They also conclude that the closer you are to these farms, the higher your risk is from suffering from asthma, skin irritation, and other medical issues. Smithfield largely discredits these studies and says that their business has brought economic prosperity to the region and given opportunities to farmers that weren't there before. In 2017, out of the over 500 farms that produce Smithfield swine, two of those farm owners are black. When I went to Dublin for this story, the problems were a lot harder to see on the ground than in the air. I wanted to get closer and see one of these lagoons for myself. But with the impending complaint with the EPA and multiple nuisance lawsuits against Smithfield, 
I had very little hope that I was going to be able to step foot anywhere near one of these farms. So I called Smithfield's headquarters, even if it was so that I could say they declined to comment. To my surprise, the receptionist forwarded my call, and an hour later, I was being picked up for my motel in a big red SUV. My name is Don Butler. I'm the director of corporate affairs for Smithfield Foods. So where are we off to now? We're going to go by a farm, and I think you need to see for yourself what's what. After the break, Smithfield Representative Don Butler takes Otis to one of the waste lagoons. Lodge Cast Iron, a family-owned business in South Pittsburgh, Tennessee, has been making cast iron cookware since 1896. Lodge Cast Iron Camp Dutch Ovens are the first choice for campers preparing meals over a fire. Their skillets and griddles are perfect for searing steaks and roasting vegetables at home. And professional chefs from Atlanta to Los Angeles stock their kitchens with Lodge seasoned steel skillets and griddles. No matter what or where you cook, Lodge makes pots, pans, even griddles just for you. For over 100 years of meals and memories, and for Lodge Cast Iron's support of this podcast, we say thanks. I'm proud of what I do as a hog farmer. I think that growing food for a hungry world is a noble endeavor. Do we have our critics? We always have, we always will. But I'm proud of what I do. Don Butler was born and raised in North Carolina. He grew up on a dairy farm an hour southwest of here. By the time he hit college, he didn't think he had a future in agriculture, and he didn't want to go into his family's dairy business. So I went off and did other things for a number of years and then had an opportunity to come back and become involved in the pork industry, and that's where I've been for the past 26 years. Don has become one of the primary figures defending big pork in light of the recent allegations against Smithfield. It frustrates us so much when people make the claims that if you live within five miles of a hog farm, Life is hell. The facts just don't bear that out. Don and I pull into the farm of Ronnie Azell, a contract grower who has long raised hogs for Smithfield. As we drive up, there's a little piglet laid out in the grass outside one of the barns. Typically, what you lose a few animals along. Uh, he's, I see that he's lost one today. Now that. How do you think this little guy? Would I, I don't ask? know. Sometimes they just die. Uh, you don't know. Don't always know the reason. In front of us is a small house and eight long barns with massive fans ventilating the far walls. To our right, over a small slope, is the lagoon. Okay, so we're parked here 10 feet from the edge of the lagoon and we're going to get out of the car. Up close, the lagoon is a deep blood red color and completely stagnant, almost like you could walk on it. You tell me what your olfactory experience is here. Are you smelling anything? Honestly, no. I'm not. I want people to know the truth about uh, modern pork production and how, how our company conducts its business and how our contract growers conduct their business with respect to neighbors, with respect to their community, and to be responsible operators. Uh, if someone brings a complaint to our attention, we offer to go and investigate that complaint. If, if we find that there's a, something legitimate there, 
we do our best to correct it. Don says that the studies being cited in the EPA complaint are simply inconclusive, and the claim that these farms are located based on race is entirely false. Part of my job early on in my career was citing farms, finding land uh, that was suitable for farming. The claim that low-income or African-American communities were specifically targeted for locating hog farms is not borne out by the facts, because I know that's what I did for the first 10 years of my career. When I asked Don about the benefits of these confined animal operations, his answer was truly surprising. One is environmental, because we're able to contain all the uh, manure, store it, treat it, manage it properly, and land apply it to, to crops that need fertilizer. The other benefit, he says, is that the hogs themselves have better lives than they did in traditional free-range hog farming. They don't have to worry about predators, foreign diseases, and they get nutritional food consistently without having to look for it. And that they produce safe, high-quality food for a hungry world. He says that Duplin schools, infrastructure, and culture in eastern North Carolina just wouldn't be the same without these CAFOs. From an economic perspective, it's what, it's what makes this part of the world work. It allows people to, to build nice homes, drive nice cars, send their kids to good schools. If livestock operations didn't exist in Sampson and Duplin County, there'd be tumbleweeds blowing down I-40. Clearly, his stance is in sharp contrast from the claims of Elsie Herring. But these are common arguments made by those who support Smithfield. In 2012, Smithfield had a revenue of $14.5 billion. They credit this with bringing prosperity to Duplin County and others like it. And you might believe that, driving around Duplin's nicely paved roads and pristine-looking farmland. But in Duplin County, the percentage of people living under the poverty line is 27%, almost double the national average. The state's average in 2017 was 15%. Just like the smell that isn't immediately apparent when you drive into Duplin, factors that point at environmental racism here can be hard to see. Studies show that as the industry grows, black farmers are being pushed out of agriculture, leaving even less of a platform to speak on. I asked Don if he thought Smithfield's operation had any effect on people of color in Southern agriculture. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't know. Uh, the answer to that question. I, I would simply tell you that farming has changed. Uh, regardless of what color you are, you can't subsist on a few acres of land in today's agricultural world. If you can't uh, be competitive with the rest of agriculture, then you're not going to survive, and color has nothing to do with that. So this one hits sort of close to home to me again because uh, my family is probably some of those people who uh, were cut out of the farming. Um, this is Van Newkirk. And I am a staff writer at The Atlantic, and I write mostly about politics and environmental policy and public health. Van's family is from Bladen County, North Carolina, so he grew up with the pork industry and everything that came with it. And this is probably my bias as a person who grew up on the farms in eastern North Carolina, but I think the black agricultural experience is probably like a direct uh, microcosm of the entire black experience in America. Van breaks down how people of color ended up on these lands that became targets for big industries. He says that back when the eastern states were first being settled, the safe, fertile, good land was taken up by free people who could vote. And so basically 
as people settled the rest of the areas of the country, they had to get in where they could fit in. And lots of black folks, uh, they ended up being on the most marginalized land anyways. And so you start with a shaky foundation, right? They're already on the banks of rivers, they're already on the most environmentally unsound and unsafe places in the country. And then industry comes, we industrialize, right? We, we build our factories, uh, we build our major industrial farms. And it almost makes sense. Where else would you put the pollution from those places but the most marginalized pieces of land? Why would you put their waste on valuable pieces of land? This shaky foundation runs so deep and has become such commonplace that it's hard for some people today to tangibly see the injustices that Elsie and Devon are talking about. People are often looking for this smoking gun when it comes to the black experience, and black people are saying it's actually deeper than that. Things often operate a lot more subtly than that, and nobody listens. In January of 2017, the EPA responded and wrote a letter of concern to the North Carolina Department of Environmental Quality. They emphasized deep concern over the claims that people of color are suffering from the state's lax regulation. And they tell the state that they need to come to an agreement with Duplin activists or face a federal investigation. Elsie Herring says after years of residents raising concerns met with inaction, this is the first time that she felt that their voices were resonating. But even now, with conclusive evidence, Elsie and others that are fighting with her are often told by supporters of the hog industry that they're exaggerating the smell and that they're only trying to disparage Smithfield. The stench is real, the buzzards are real, the mice are real, the snakes are real, the mosquitoes are real. People get headaches, your eyes start burning and running water. I mean, everybody... And while farmers around her property are spraying less than they used to, that doesn't fix the problem. When is it ever good for people to have animal waste blown on them? And I assure you, I've documented the regularity of people spraying. I could tell you hundreds of other people who've documented how often these people spray. And because they're not spraying today doesn't mean that odor doesn't linger in days to come, you know, especially in the summertime. It depends if the lagoons are agitated if the farmers had just sprayed, whether or not you're downwind of a farm or it's just rained, you could go weeks without smelling the waste. But after smelling it for your first time, you know that this is not a normal farm manure smell. I just smelled my the first uh, cesspool, I guess, that I've come across. That is a horrible, horrible, horrible smell. Yeah, I, I got to tell you that it's it's hard for people to comprehend and put all this together in their heads from just talking about it. But in one hour in the air, flying at a thousand feet and looking down, nobody has to say a word to you. You would know. This again is Rick Dove of the Waterkeeper Alliance. But here's the thing that, that your listening audience needs to know. When they look at the price on that package, $5.99, there really is a hidden cost there that they're not seeing. He says keeping this cheap pollution system in place artificially shows up in the price of the product at the supermarket. In the end, there's really no bargain here because nature isn't going to allow this to go on without a consequence. 
There are plenty of new waste technologies that exist for these lagoons that would mitigate the smell and even convert the methane gas into usable fuel. Smithfield itself has spent millions of dollars studying and using this technology too. In the end, they say that the new technology just isn't economically feasible and would not allow them to compete in the world market. They say the current system works if it's managed properly. Smithfield reps often say that any violations in the current system come from bad management of these contract farms. But Elsie and Devon agree that contract growers are really stuck between a rock and a hard place. While they are technically independent, they do serve at the will of big companies like Smithfield, who could choose not to do business with them and put them out of work. They could lose their family land, which for many has become their identities. And this is why a lot of people in Duplin decline to talk to me for fear of retaliation against them or someone connected to them who undoubtedly relies on the profits from Smithfield. Some even told me that this contract model is just a legal and modern form of servitude. With some people feeling like prisoners on their own properties, you might wonder why they don't just leave. But to many, this is home. Elsie's family has been there for over 100 years, long before the swine industry became what it is now. Regardless, Devon Hall says their goal isn't to just simply shut Smithfield down. I've met with groups that say, you know, they, their long-term plan is to drive the industry out of the state. And I'm saying, what do you want to do that for? Look at the jobs. Oh, we don't want to go nowhere. We just want to clean it up. We want you to be friendlier. We want you to be good neighbors. That's all we ask. And I'll keep buying you bacon. <laughs> This past December in 2017, the state did reach a settlement with Elsie and other activists who filed the civil rights complaint. In the agreement, the state agreed to adopt new response protocol to ensure prompt investigation into these citizen complaints. They've also agreed to maintain an online database that documents all violations made by these farms and make it open to the public. In doing this, activists hope to catch farms violating the law, enforcing harsher regulations and demanding new waste management technology. It's a big step forward for Duplin residents like Elsie Herring and Devon Hall, who have long been told that the injustices that they're witnessing are all in their heads. It is progress. But having been in Duplin and witnessing even for a moment the smell and the reality that folks here have to live with, it feels like progress that should have been made a long time ago. The struggle goes on. Seems like we're always trying to fight just to live in harmony and be treated fair and justly like everybody else, you know? But that still seems to be one of our greatest challenges. Otis Gray is the host and producer of The Hungry Podcast. Check him out on iTunes. For generous help this episode, Gravy thanks Naima Muhammad and the North Carolina Environmental Justice Network and the Rural Empowerment Association for Community Help. Otis offers special thanks to Van Newkirk at The Atlantic. Music for this episode comes from James Lipkowski, Lobo Loco, and Blue Dot Sessions. Our theme music is by Wendell Patrick, and donor music is by Jazar. Managing editor for this podcast and all other SFA content 
is Sarah Camp Milam, and our intern is Robin Miniter. For photos from this episode, head to our website at southernfoodways.org. Two more things to know before you go. The SFA runs on donations from listeners like you. Truly, we couldn't make this without your dollars. Click the Make a Donation tab at southernfoodways.org. And as you go about your day, please remember, make cornbread, not war. Thank you.